0: Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show.
1: Because of my other business, which requires me to sit on an airplane for 18 hours at a time flying around the world or in a chair in meetings, we get fat. That's just the consequence of modern IT work is this is what happens. It doesn't matter if you go for a ride or run, you just, you have to be diligent. And what I found is that my bicycle capacity had just dropped radically. And I said, okay, I need to go try an e-bike. So I went and tried an e-bike, you know, from a competitor, obviously. And I said, hmm, this is amazing. This is eye-opening, but it can be better.
0: This is SWARFCAST, I'm Noah Graff. Today's guest on the podcast is Tabor West, founder of Gravity Works, the manufacturer of a high-performance suspension electric bike called the E160 FS. Tabor has three engineering degrees, including electrical engineering, complex systems, and software engineering. When he was younger, he raced bikes professionally, but as he aged and gained weight, He no longer could do the type of cycling he used to enjoy, particularly mountain biking. When he discovered that a high-performance e-bike could empower him to ride places he had thought were impossible, he set out to build his own. As a used machine tool dealer specializing in high-production equipment, I've encountered plenty of fire-damaged machines. An average fire costs a business $300,000 to $500,000 and six to eight weeks of lost production time. Installed on over 15,000 CNC machines, FireTrace protects shops running oil-based coolants by automatically detecting and suppressing fires within seconds. After FireTrace stops a fire, its system quickly rearms and you can have your machine back up and running in as little as 45 minutes. For more details, go to www.firetrace.com swarfcast. That's www.firetrace.com slash swarfcast. I am very happy to be with Tabor West, founder of Gravity Works, and TEK Advisory Group. Uh, he's located in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Welcome to the show, Tabor. Good to be here. I discovered Tabor uh, when I was, was looking for somebody to sell uh, Nakamura Turning Center to. Uh, I had him in, on a list as somebody that potentially might have one. Couldn't make any machinery deal, but he was quite interested in doing a podcast with me and um, learned about his company, Gravity Works, that's spelled with an X at the end, and um, they make e-bikes. So I wanted to learn about e-bikes. I, I just happened to be in Rome with my wife and we rented some e-bikes and it, it was just awesome. So give me the scoop on Gravity Works and uh, tech advisory group, and I'm sure you've got an interesting story how you got into both of those. I would love to uh, yeah. to find out.
1: I'll give you a little history. So I started out as a junior electrical engineer in the Navy um, way back when, 1989, first Gulf War, and um, started, uh, started my degree while I was in. And finished it at New Mexico State University um, afterward, Uh, then went to work for a series of small companies like Unisys and Intel, and uh, (laughs) then um, got pulled into Los Alamos National Laboratory. I actually, you know, full disclosure, grew up in Los Alamos and in the mountains above Los Alamos. And um, that's where they do the nuclear testing. Well, not the testing, uh, the building, (laughs) the research. Okay. Yeah, so I worked on a a number of interesting projects there. Two supercomputers, um, ran some of the very first fiber networks in existence, um, built their enterprise application suites, cybersecurity, Uh, many, many projects for DOE and DOD and, and NSA that Oh, I'm sure they'll declassify them someday when we're dead. (laughs) But it gave me a a pretty varied background in a lot of really interesting things from advanced manufacturing to digital systems programming. Um, I actually have three engineering degrees. Wow. And so I do electrical engineering, complex systems, and software engineering. When I was younger, I raced bicycles professionally, both triathlon uh, road and then mountain bikes wow that's um both painful and financially ungainful so very satisfying <laughs> which one did you like better um to tell you the truth mountain bikes right um mountain bikes didn't really exist when i started racing road and triathlon Yeah. and so back then what we had available to us was Basically a strengthened steel frame, tangay steel, you know, braze welded joints. None of this was TIG welded at the time and um, no suspension. So you'd come off a jump and the bike could mm-hmm. go wherever it decided it wanted to. <laughs> you were really along for the ride. And uh, so then that kind of progressed. I've, I've tested just about every component there is in existence out there over the last 30 years that's come along. And uh, I saw where things were beneficial and where there were deficits. So, well, let's see, about six years ago, I restarted Gravity Works. And the primary focus there was building state-of-the-art carbon fiber mountain bike wheels. All right. Okay. So we had wheels out there in carbon, very expensive, you know, upwards of $32 to $3,600 a set um, from Look and Envy and some of those guys. Um, And I said, well, we can definitely make this, one, better feature specific, right? So wider profiles for better tire profile, lighter, tubeless. Um, without requiring tape, some innovations like that.
0: Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, this yeah. is this is before the e-bike. This is just mountain bike. Correct.
1: This is before the e-bike. Okay. And so um, I designed up multiple wheel molds, started producing, you know, composite wheels, um, and testing them. Probably farther than others test their gear. <laughs> I've got, you know, so having raced in bicycles and been in the industry for so long, I know a lot of people that are still in competition and, and such. So that gives me a ready pool of, of testers. Mm -hmm. Um, but interestingly, um, I'm not small, um, six foot tall, weigh 300 pounds. I can probably stand to lose about 80 of those at the moment. But part of the reason that my bicycle career wasn't probably the top of the stack is because, um, my bare weight, would be in at about two hundred pounds if if you stripped everything off of me, right? So if I'm trying to compete against a climber who's 135 pounds and I'm two hundred pounds, well physics is physics.
0: But when you so, were when you were competing, were you also on the bigger side or were you more in shape or kind of in the middle? In when
1: I was five percent body fat, I was 189 pounds. So, there's just no getting smaller than that for me. <laughs> so, you're a big,
0: you're just a big boned.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. I was just, I'm just big. You know, it's just the way it is. My, my calves hit the uh, seat tube when I pedal. So, <laughs> the, you know, arm, armor doesn't fit me. <laughs> you know, it's all, all kinds of funny stories about that over the years. Um, but me being trapped in my, you know, leg armor and stuff like that and people having to cut it off of me and, you know, right. fun, fun things like that. But, What I discovered is that there was this lack of bicycle technology for either riders my size or riders who really hit the trails hard. The kind of stuff Mm -hmm. that you watch in the Red Bull Rampage and on pretty much, well, any Red Bull video that gets published out these days, um, you know, or any of the the fun movies showing up on YouTube and whatnot. Mm And so I was seeing even young riders just breaking things left and right, snapping frames in half, forks, wheels, Mm. you know, they, they crush them like tinfoil. And so I thought, well, we can do better. (laughs) We have the technology, right? We can build it faster, stronger, better. And so I looked at what was out there and I said, you know what? I need to produce a higher level of component. We've got the basics in place, but we don't necessarily have the technology is applied to the bicycle industry. They're used in aerospace. Um, they're used in ballistics, things like that. But they're not used in aerospace. And I mean, I'll give you an example. So let's see. Where's a, there we go. Here's a, so can you see that right there? What? Uh, That's a cut uh, section of one of my rims.
0: Okay. Describe this to people that are just listening.
1: Right. So what this is, is this is a hollow composite layup in a mold three piece and what it is is that is Toray t700 carbon fiber in a pre-impregnated form that's been laid up in the mold and then compressed um, as well as a vacuum applied and baked in an oven okay
0: interesting and so
1: what that does is that produces this is a piece this is one of my test um sections right here and what you see there well you can see in the kind of profile i'll show you, This rim bed has no holes in it for the spokes, right?
0: Ah, and that's that's totally unconventional.
1: Exactly. Here's another piece right here, and you see the holes clearly, right? The Mm -hmm. holes for the spokes to go through.
0: And so this is the old way, the one you just showed me.
1: Right, right. So what I did is I developed techniques to build a conventional wheel so that the parts are replaceable readily in a bike shop when you happen to be somewhere, I don't know, Mongolia. Right. (laughs) You know, you're out on your favorite bikepacking trip for three weeks. So um, what I did is I came up with techniques to utilize those components. Then I sought out some suppliers who made ultra-strong components. But what I then found is that in the United States, states and even most of europe there was a lack of suppliers you have to go to asia you just don't have a choice right and so there's all the logistical problems that we had before covid-19
0: Now those are
1: compounded, you know, tenfold with COVID-19. There's no planes, there's no containers, there's no ships, nothing is taking off from China, Taiwan, Malaysia um, right now. So I have the factories, I have the engineers over there that I work with and whatnot, but they had the ready facilities, which is why you and I were introduced, right? So I started looking for machine tools that could do what I needed to do. I'd created the process. Now I needed to find a tool that could do it correctly. So I've got plenty of machine shops with state of the art mills where DMG and Samsung here in Los Alamos, because yeah, they're all yeah. contractors to the laboratory. So they're cutting. So for instance, a friend of mine who is a master's a downhill mountain bike champion, in the United States. He owns an automotive technology company, lives up here in Los Alamos down the street from me. And he's one of my testers. His father-in-law machines the precise waveguides for the CERN particle accelerator. Wow. We're trying to take infusion, right? Yeah. So we're talking about some really precise machining work here. What we're not talking about is precise, uh, shall we say production grade. So cutting a hub shell, for instance, like I'll show you here. So this is, this is one of my hubs, right? Wow. That's this beautiful. is a 148 millimeter state of the art bicycle hub right here. And there's a number of components in here, right? All right. So this is the axle cap. This is the part that would interface with the frame. You can see the axle and you can see the cartridge bearing inside. You can see that it's blind and threaded to accept the disc for the disc brake. All right. And then on this side, this is what accepts the cassette that your chain rides on, multi-gear. In this case, 11 or 12 speed. And then you've got the body. So this body right here that you see, that yeah. would be forged from a 70-75 ingot of aluminum alloy. Then wow. heat treat. Then machine down. And then every little detail. Like, um, you see the spoke holes there?
0: Yeah. Yeah
1: okay, they have to be 3D milled. They're at at completely different angles in space relative to the axle and the hub body because they have to precisely interface with the holes in the rim, uh, roughly 16 inches away from the hub. And then they have to be brought up to 120 kgf of force with each spoke. And so it's a really precise body. Like I'll show you what, what that free hub body looks like so here's the shimano compatible version and you can see the poles right and the springs and the retainers on this side you can see the bearings so there's multiple pieces just in making this one piece which has to fit onto that other piece and so that makes a whole hub and and every single piece of that i need to engineer control manufacture and assemble that tolerance, and then make sure it stays functional for years in a high torque application.
0: And you engineered all of it yourself,
1: right? Yeah, this is one hundred. This is one hundred percent my design right here. However, this free hub is licensed from SRAM. Okay. And this free hub here is licensed from Shimano. But I still had to engineer the component. All they specify are these particular little risers and veins on here, right? Mm-hmm. and that's so that it fits their cassette design. Other than that, they don't care how it interfaces to the hub. So it's up to me to define that component there.
0: Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf has got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Kraft Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. And is this totally different from any any other e bike you're going to find?
1: Well, yes. Yeah, so I'll, I'll show you. Let's see.
0: Because this is this is just so much more rugged.
1: So here's a here's a competitor hub from Switzerland. That's uh-huh. a DT Swiss hub right there. Very similar to my hub, but actually heavier, but a completely different mechanism inside. So as an example, right now. Here's the problem. It's made in Switzerland? Uh, Actually, no, that one's made in China. Ah. (laughs) If
0: it it was made in Switzerland, I'm sure it would be good and expensive.
1: Right. The ones that are made in Switzerland. So that hub right there, the retail on it would be about $400. The one made in Switzerland, the retail would be about $900. Sounds like machine tools. Mm, exactly and that's that's exactly what we discovered was the costs are astronomical so to make up the difference and make a component, you've got to have a machine that can roll those out at speed. So when I take an ingot over with a CAD file to one of my local machine shops and they put it on a state-of-the-art five-axis mill, we're talking an hour and 10 minutes to make that hub. And there's four different operations and usually two mills involved to get it done. So what I started looking for were state-of-the-art mills that could do that all inside of a single operation. Okay. Which actually becomes a very select list because they weren't really built for this application. They were built for other applications, usually aircraft grade.
0: So which ones are you using? What machines?
1: So we've right now we profiled it on Samsung. Samsung. Yep, because they've got they've got multi-access Swiss type advanced mills. That are designed for feeding in bar stock, yeah. right? So I can have the producer make me a huge rod of 7075 that's been cold drawn and heat treated which makes an extremely strong billet. But I have to have it turned and parted and CNC'd all inside the same machine and then have a robotic picker pull it off.
0: And Samsung is the one that makes the one that
1: seems... Because Samsung is like... Well, Samsung makes the one that's more affordable. The other ones are... I was going to say, they're cheap, right? Right, they're cheap. Whereas in Germany, they're four times the cost. Right. So for an, in, an index C300, yeah, would absolutely do the job for one hundred thousand dollars just to get the picker. <laughs> right. We're talking about a million dollars for the base mill. Yeah. And but the difference is at that one hour and 10 minutes to make a single hub body using conventional means. Or when I profile it inside of an index C300, for instance, um, about four and a half minutes to wow. make that hub shell
0: yeah so if you have the right part you know
1: right so the right machine makes all the difference exactly
0: how how long does it take on the samsung
1: On the samsung it profiles out to about nine and a half minutes so about twice the time
0: and how is the how would be the precision compared to the index good enough interestingly
1: the samsung has about the same precision what's different is the index has built-in cooling towers Uh so it can run 24 hours on duty cycle the uh, Samsungs, we'd probably have to cut that to half or slightly less than half that time.
0: Right. You, you have a small enough volume that you probably don't need.
1: Well, so the funny thing about that volume is um, that hub I showed you from DT Swiss, um, they're producing about 50,000 of those hubs a month. Hmm. So the bicycle industry is far larger than most people realize. Um, that right now is a $17 billion a year industry. Now, when we get back to the e-bikes to your question earlier, this is what's interesting. An e-bike, whereas one of my ultralight road bikes would be fully built with an entire group set ready to ride at about 16 pounds with disc brakes, hydraulic.
0: Let me interrupt you a second. I just want to understand. Yeah. So so these components, you're you're a contractor with those. This is the e-bike is your own bike, but the what you're using the Samsung for that's to supply other bike makers?
1: Well, both myself and others. Okay. Right? So, so effectively I can build OEM wheel sets and hub sets for other manufacturers as well as my own Gravity Works components. Okay. Right? Now, the demand these days tends to be for boutique hand-built wheels. So I do all of that here. However, the, the tricky part is, is actually the hubs, not so much the composite layup. The mm-hmm. composite layup isn't as hard to do. Machining a precise hub to those tolerances and those weights, that's that's what comes, comes down to what type of device you use, what type of anodizing process and heat treating process, what post assembly methods are used, and that level of precision mm-hmm. that's needed for that even down to bearing selection, seal selection, material type. And so what I've been trying to do is increment the innovation, right? You can't make giant leaps because nobody's ready for it. Every other bicycle out there won't accommodate it. So you have to make small changes. Now, because I build my own bicycles, I can also make those specific changes and incremental jumps myself Um, But it has to be as a complete bike. Hmm. Because when I change one component, it changes nine other components in there. Interesting. Now, I'll give you another interesting little example of something I do that no other bicycle manufacturer on earth does. So, this right here is a prototype rear derailleur. Okay? Now, that is CNC milled and painted. A prototype what? So, this is a rear derailleur. So, this is the shifting mechanism for the chain on the rear of the bicycle. And I designed this specifically for heavy-duty mountain bike use and for my e-bikes. And the reason being, the e-bike is significantly heavier than a conventional bicycle. And the torque loads of adding, say, 70 Newton meters of additional torque to the motor unit um, put severe stress across the chain, the chain ring, the rear cog, and that free hub mechanism that you saw in the hub earlier. So they all have to be redesigned to accommodate that. Then take a rider that weighs as much as I do <sighs> and think about the span between a hundred pound rider and a 300 pound rider on the same bicycle, right? right? It, it's tremendous. So we have to get really, really precise with the way every single component on the bicycle is designed and manufactured because With a car, you can say, hey, you know, let's add a little bit of extra reinforcement right here and nobody will notice that welder, that rib or that bracket. You know, okay, the car weighs 3,800 pounds or weighs 3,850 pounds on a bicycle. An extra pound is noticeable. Mm. Right. So we're down to grams on things. I mean, six or seven grams on a component matter because they add up.
0: And you plan to sell this bike, to the same bike, to somebody who weighs 100 pounds and 300 pounds.
1: Right, right. So, the bike's up. You can see the bike up on the website. And there's a bunch of video of me climbing some really gnarly terrain on it on YouTube, on the Gravity Works channel. The The difference is most e-bikes out there in the full suspension, long travel range. So, my e-bike has six and a half inches of front and rear suspension travel. Um, 203 millimeter disc brake up front, 180 in the rear. 12 speed. Um, drive train and it's got a 504 watt hour battery and it uses a shimano 250 watt motor unit um, and computer and i can get 55 miles of heavy climbing out of a single battery charge on that bike wow now part of the reason i can do that even at my body weight is whereas a typical bike in that range would be in the 53 to 55 pound range minus 44 and a half pounds Oh. And that's through extreme machining and forging technologies.
0: So it's light, but it can hold heavier.
1: It's it's lighter, but it can hold heavier. Exactly. So that's where you get into the exotics of the design. It's kind of like designing a Formula One race car versus designing, you know, the same Ferrari streetcar, Right. Wow. That Ferrari can withstand forces far beyond what the streetcar can. Obviously, it costs a lot more, but it's a fraction of the weight, yet can take four times the G-forces in every corner. Now, with an E-mountain bike, what I'm trying to do is make that dynamic so that you're still using your whole gear set. But the difference is, instead of climbing a small hill, you could climb a hill at a 20% grade sustained over rock. And once again, up there on YouTube, I've put videos up. You can see it in action. It's real. (laughs) So now people can ride things that they just flat out couldn't ride. And interestingly, I'm in that case because of my other business, which requires me to sit on an airplane for 18 hours at a time, flying around the world or in a chair in meetings, we get fat. That's just (laughs) the consequence of modern IT work is this is what happens. It doesn't matter if you go for a ride or a run you just you have to be diligent and what i found is that my bicycle capacity had just dropped radically and i said okay i need to go try an e-bike so i went and tried an e-bike you know from a competitor obviously Mm -hmm. and i said hmm this is amazing this is eye-opening But it could be better. Sure, (laughs) sure. And so that's when I designed the mold and and created my first sets and and tried it out. Now, the difference was I wasn't starting at ground zero. I had all the bicycle design knowledge of all the bikes I've built before and all the ones I've ridden and tested. So the good news is when my bikes came out of the mold, um, my very first prototypes that I've built up that you've seen on the videos I'm now past 500 miles of riding and 63,000 feet of climbing on the initial prototypes with zero failure. Wow. So that's the beauty of modern design. Are
0: these for competitive people competing in Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: My, my bicycles have been in world enduro's and and big mountain enduro series and and multiple bike races. Oh, yeah. There's e-bike competitions. So just now this year is the first year we've seen sanctioned e-bike racing from the UCI, the world governing body of cycling as the first year. and unfortunately all the races are canceled right now (laughs) so everybody was getting ready to go and you know the sea otter classic all these big events this year all canceled wow yeah they might occur later in the year but i i know a lot about how this virus is progressing and the technology and whatnot i can tell you that that probability is pretty low we're all going to be confined for a while
0: tabor i'm sorry to keep you so long but it was so fascinating thank you so much
1: Absolutely. Thank you. And yeah, we can do it again.
0: From today's Machining World, this is a Swarfcast production. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to see extended video interviews and join our mailing list. I'm Noah Graff. Our audio engineer is Bill Steffi. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information on today's machiningworld.com.